Richard, I know uh, the movie I asked you to watch this week is a very strange movie, so I'm I'm hoping you don't hate me too much. Uh, no, not not at all. Uh, I actually uh, I enjoyed it. Oh, all right. Uh, I I can't wait to hear your thoughts on Vivarium. Um, I thought it was it was very interesting. I keep using that word interesting. I think. Uh, I've gotten some feedback from other people. If you listen to the Geeks Watch, uh, people that just did not like it at all. So uh, I, I am interested in what you had to say too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I totally understand that, and and I I have a feeling that that uh, uh, you know I have a feeling this movie is not for the masses, or that, or, or rather that most people that watch this are not most likely going to find this enjoyable yeah yeah that that's uh that's a safe bet <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into that let's talk a little bit of what, what's going on in the movie industry right now so at&t bought warner brothers warner media or it became media warner media warner media warner brothers owns uh dc comics dc basically warner media went in and made a big old shake-up gutted out DC universe and also uh, a lot of the people at DC comics. Like they were, they had a massive layoff over there. Uh, It was, it's been reported that there are going to be no more original shows over at DC universe. So as of right now, I think the only ongoing original shows that they had was, were uh, doom patrol, star girl, uh, Harley Quinn animated series and Titans. So the animated Harley Harley Quinn animated series is already over at HBO Max. Uh, so is Doom Patrol. I believe t- Titans is supposed to have a third season um come out, and they're getting moved over there. Yeah, they will be moved over to HBO Max. Whether they go past the third season, I don't know. And uh, Star Girl, they had, even before the show was over or the season was over, they announced that was going to go straight over to CW and stay there. So, so with all that being said, um, how do you feel about what's going on at Warner Brothers with AT? Like I've heard other people talk about like AT and T essentially just published or published uh, purchased Warner Brothers because they needed something to go on a streaming platform. So with Warner Brothers comes all that backlog catalog and uh and original programming that can be on hbo max yeah i mean i i really wouldn't be too surprised uh if that was their you know their approach and their their thought process behind uh acquiring you know um also i mean just given the state of of the film industry and with everything that's going on with you know the the pandemic and everything um, again, I, I really don't think it's that shocking either. I mean, you know, DC 
historically has not done much to be, you know, seemingly at least very profitable, uh, certainly not in any capacity at which Marvel has been. So, um, it, you know, from a business, just a pure business standpoint, like it, it's not really that shocking to me that that would, you know, be the case. Okay. I mean, I mean, yeah, the coronavirus pandemic right now is really messed up a lot of different corporations and how they are structured, so to speak. So I guess that's understandable. It just seems like, I mean, obviously the comic book side of, of Warner brothers is not going to be their big moneymaker, so to speak. And it's just kind of sucks. Again, it's one of those things where, and I mean, we've had this conversation, I don't know how many times I would imagine people on the podcast have heard, uh, you know, heard us say this a billion times over. But, uh, you know, it is unfortunate in, in a certain capacity because Marvel has shown that it can be extremely profitable and that comic book movies can be. Um, I personally think that, you know, if done right, like comic book shows could offer a much uh, a much more lucrative profitability than even the films because so many of the original source material things, you know, were longer form uh, stories being told uh, in in kind of a more episodic approach. So, you know, the source material almost lends itself perfectly to, you know, television or miniseries or exclusive programming, um, arguably more so than it does even just film. But it always felt like DC was constantly taking this approach of like, we have to go to war with Marvel. We have to attack head on. We have to do what they're doing. And I've said this over and over again. You don't have to do that. You, You should be different. Like you are a different company. You should not view them as a direct competitor because quite frankly, people are, especially I think in today's society, like people are... Uh, consuming things at a much, much faster and larger pace uh, than we were even, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago or or longer. So, you know, really what DC needs to do is, uh, and, and maybe this is what they're going to do, is take a step back, you know, take a bit of a breather, reformulate, and then focus on making good quality content that people want to consume and you will be profitable yeah i think you're absolutely correct i mean i think you look at look at the animated harley quinn tv series uh that seems to be highly critically acclaimed and uh consumer acclaimed i guess i don't know i should be able to say that better but uh it's it's TV shows, TV series probably do lend themselves better. I mean, you, you, even Marvel's doing some TV originals for their Disney Plus streaming, right? Like, you have mm-hmm. all those things. Um, and look at what's popular at the moment in streaming sites. You have Umbrella Academy Season 2 and The Boys Season 2, both critically acclaimed and highly anticipated. Uh, so if they're able to focus more on on television instead of movies well but they're going to do both because we know we have a batman movie coming out mm-hmm. dc fandom is going to be coming out here in the at the uh, i think actually t- obviously we record before the the episode airs but i think it's 
happening the same day the episode airs, the 22nd. So, yeah. Hmm. So, if you were listening to this, you might have already seen whatever big surprise news they had at DC Fandom. Um, it's just interesting to me that, you know, they're going to bank so much on all these comic book characters in a television movie medium, but... Mm-hmm. They're gutting out so much of the comic book itself. They even took away the DC Direct division, which is the collectibles di- division of DC. Yeah, that I mean, that is really strange. I mean, the only thing I could think of is, you know, if they're just looking at it from a, a, a pure numerical standpoint, yeah. like maybe they feel if they restructure that they could, you know, come in and, and shake things up and... Um, down the road, increase the productivity of, you know, the financial gains and all that sort of stuff uh, as well. But I I think you really kind of like hit the nail on the head with what I was saying when you talked about, you know, Amazon's The Boys, because that is a polar opposite type of approach from what Marvel is doing, period. You know what I mean? Like it is it, it is everything that I would think a DC property would actually be. Um, and and again, you're right. It was extremely successful. It, you know, everybody was talking about it. You know, I've been waiting for the second season for a good while now. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that just goes to show that you really don't have to do exactly what Marvel's doing. You don't have to look to compete with them. Um, you just need to kind of focus on your identity and then make you know quality content. Um, the other thing that it, it, I guess doesn't it, kind of a side rant, if you will, but. I think this would be like coming out of the pandemic. I think we're going to be at a point where, you know, a lot of production companies and things like that are still going to be moving relatively slow. Um, There's still going to be kind of this like backlog of work that needs to to be done and all these other projects that have already been greenlit. I I really feel like this would be kind of an opportune time, not that they're even thinking of this or in the market to do anything with it, but this would be an amazing time for image to create some sort of a production company and to start making shows out of their uh, properties. Because I feel like Image, as a comic company, even though they're they're not, you know, the big two, so to speak, they are, I think, the third... I think they're the third largest comic one that's independent, but that might be... I might be wrong. Um, but they they have so many crazy, wonderful stories across so many different genres... Uh, that from a business standpoint, you know, if they could start getting all of the funding and everything lined up and get these ready to roll as soon as it was safe to start production again, I think they could find themselves in a really, really crazy opportunity to create massive bidding wars for their original content, whether that goes to Netflix, uh, you know, Hulu, Amazon, where yeah, Apple even since they're now in the, you know, television streaming game. I, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like that's a, a huge opportunity if if Image was to jump on that. So the thing is, and as the way I understand it, is that Image itself cannot jump on it because Image, all those comic books were were creator owned. So you already have Rob Liefeld, who was one of the founders of Image, with his Extreme Comics uh, set. They, he set a deal over at uh, Netflix. They have the rights to his quote-unquote universe so they are supposed to make stuff with that character uh, uh what's his name uh, rob 
Robert Kirkman's Skybound stuff. Like he's sold, you know, obviously The Walking Dead, which was an image comic, is over at uh, AMC, and Invincible, I believe, is at FX. I'm not sure anymore, but each one of those different titles was part of a creator uh, comic book uh, company. So each each one of them gets to sell their TV or movie rights to whoever. Right. But that's what I mean. I think if your image in this instant, you know, you have an unbelievable access to the data of what was successful. True. Uh, I think you make the play to acquire the rights uh, to those things and then you create the production and then do kind of like a secondhand distribution deal. Like, I think this is a like a really good time for them to cash in. No, I no. think it's going to put them in a strange position that not a lot of other, you know, um, entertainment companies or comic companies would be in yeah no i think uh, a lot of the titles over an image would be a great opportunity because not only are people loving comic book stuff right now people are also loving the deconstruction of comic books or the un somewhat unknown characters as opposed to the supermans the batmans the spidermans the captain americas like that's why it's kind of why umbrella academy is doing so well or why the boys is doing so well because the boys takes those well-known characters and you know kind of turns them on their head yeah it's, it's definitely a stark contrast to you know what we anticipate those heroes to be and do and i yeah i don't know I, it kind of like i said kind of a side rant but i, I if anyone at image is listening um <laughs> i'm just sure they are it out there <laughs> yeah yeah just throwing it out there for you and I, I mean you know and that's the same with like i know they've been talking about trying to do another like spawn movie for ever but again i i think i think you go television route i i think you know if you're todd mcfarland you double down you do uh, a spawn series and you could do uh sam and twitch like right out of the gate you've got two different uh stories that you could go with and and i'm sure he could get both of those sold to probably different competing companies at this point i would imagine like everybody's gotta be hurting like bad <laughs> for content i i would have to guess well that's i mean that's actually absolutely true the um there is a what was it Todd McFarlane said talks of another animated series have started to heat up of Spawn I mean I'm all for it I thought the animated series they did on HBO back in the day was phenomenally amazing for me like I I loved it I thought it was fantastic movie I thought the movie was enjoyable but I just again it's one of those things where it just it felt a little ahead of its time as well. Like I, I, you know, especially with Deadpool coming out and being a R rated comic book movie that had, you know, massive numbers at the box office. I think, I think it's the time that you could get spawned back in the limelight of, of film and television. And I think it would be a lot, especially with the boys, you know, you look at how dark and how gritty and graphic that is. It's like, yeah, there is a market for that. And I think it's, it's here. I don't think it was necessarily there when they made the original movie, uh, and then, of course, you know, the technology, too. I mean, yeah. there, there's so many different visual effects that need to be in that film. And, uh, you know, it's just it's it's difficult when you're talking about the late 90s, I think, uh, 97, maybe, <laughs> um, you know, just a lot more challenging back then. All right. Yeah, no, uh, I, I, I kind of think that maybe the 90s version of Spawn, the, the movie might hurt 
any numbers that you would get for watching a new version of that movie just because it's so widely panned as being a bad movie. Like, even though I, I enjoyed it for what it was and being what the age I was when it came out, it's, you know, a lot of people still think of it as being a bad movie. It's true. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, I think the animated show did pretty well though. So hopefully that would be, you know, and then with, with all of the inflation of, of comic book movies, I would think you, you know, from a, investing standpoint you'd have a little bit of an of a better argument now true and and also but you never know and also like look at uh the daredevil series and the punisher series both of those had terrible prequels or you know six uh yeah yeah well that's not okay well i mean again well the punisher had Warzone, which was awful but the thomas jane punisher was effing great yeah but i'm so pissed off we didn't get more of that the dolph lundgren punisher is also awful so you had two bad ones and one good one that was like back in the 80s though i mean that was or maybe the early 90s but that was way before comic book movies were even i'm just saying man not everybody liked the thomas jane one as much as we did i know but they're all wrong they are all wrong (laughs) (laughs) Uh, speaking of being wrong, there is a Texas town by the name of New Boston that is suing Netflix oh. and Hulu. That's for- already how you can tell something's <laughs> wrong. A town in Texas called New Boston? Like, what the F? Yeah, I know. They are suing Texas and, and Hulu, or Texas, Netflix and Hulu, uh, for utility fees. Uh, from what I understand. So, so wait, wait, wait. The city. Yep. In Texas, yep. called New Boston, Correct. I just want to reiterate that one more time because I think it's hysterical, is suing Netflix and Hulu. Correct. Okay. And why? For you, what they're calling utility fees. So I believe what happens is that when uh, residents use a utility, such as electricity or water, uh, the, the companies that run those utilities have to pay a fee back to the town for allowing them to run their utility in that in there uh now the the this article that's on the hollywood reporter says netflix and hulu are using broadband infrastructure to provide their services to new boston texas residents and the city says the streamers ought to be paying it five percent of their local gross revenue as a fee (laughs) so they're they're saying that netflix and hulu are essentially a utility like water or electricity and since their residents are using those utilities, they, they the, the the big streaming company should be paying 5% of their local revenue back into the city. Uh, I would say that the the internet that they're using, the broadband infrastructure that the, mm-hmm. the resident is using, that is the utility and not the Netflix and Hulu. Uh, right. So, But I'm not a lawyer, and I'm sure that if you go after Netflix and Hulu, which is owned by Disney, you're going to have a lot of big lawyers coming back at you, so... I don't, okay. I'm just going to call up Boston and then uh, they can go, you know, they can go into <laughs> litigation over getting their name back since they you just want to steal stuff from everybody. <laughs> what the heck? Yeah. So I don't know. I, I just thought this was an interesting story. What did what do you think? Does, does Well, I'm I'm already pretty heavily jaded because I genuinely don't like most Internet companies because um, I think most of them are very. Well, every business is predatory to a degree, but like for me, internet service providers historically have been by far the worst at it in the sense of like, 
all of these companies like should have been held to higher standards of of quality. Like they also were like pretty much the only companies on the planet that can advertise something and then never provide it to you. And you still have to pay them mm-hmm. a very large amount of money. Um, number one. Number two, it also seems or feels at least like every Internet service provider has this thing where they're like, we're never going to upgrade. We're never going to make our stuff better until we absolutely have to. <laughs> and it's like our Internet should be so much better than what it is everywhere across the globe or specifically here in the United States. I was going to say in other places in the, across the globe, it is a lot better than what we have here. Yeah, I don't. I, last I looked, which was like a long time ago, but last I looked, we weren't even in like the top twenty. No, like, we weren't internet yeah. globally, and it's like that's it, that, to me. It's just like okay, I get that every company's job is to make money. I understand that, but you also have to, as a company, continue to expand, to continue to diversify and grow and do all of these things. And like to me, that's just a, you know that smells like a clone of des- you know like scented and desperation. Um, that they haven't done what they were supposed to do. And, you know, now they're like looking at another scenario where they just do not want to invest money in, you know, what they're supposed to be doing, which is paying their own taxes and things like that. So they're like, well, if we can't throw it on the consumer like we normally would with these things, how do we screw someone else on it? And, you know, that's one side of the equation to play devil's advocate for a minute here. Like, I it is kind of tough in a sense too because you know streaming video does take a considerable considerable amount of bandwidth. I mean I remember like when the pandemic started there was like someone that you know it was, it was either a tweet or an article or something that was like you know gamers need to get off the internet because I'm trying to do my work meeting and I'm like most games uh especially online games have to be extremely optimized for uh, broadband communication to offer competitive ranges. And like, I like even I think Destiny or Destiny 2 was like cited as being the most bandwidth hog of a game at 500 megabytes an hour, 500 megs an hour, whereas like one 4K video off of like Netflix or something like that is like probably four to six gigs an hour. <laughs> so I, I mean, like that's, you know, it, it, it there is uh, some double sided equation there, too, for my, you know, kind of. Uh, you know, old man, get off my lawn, hatred of internet service providers. But, you know, there is a tremendous amount of bandwidth that's going through there. Um, So I don't think this is probably the first time that Netflix or Hulu has probably been targeted for something kind of along these lines. I would have to guess somebody tried to, you know, be like, hey, you there, stop using up the water and pay us more or whatever, you know? I mean, yeah, it's... I think it's stupid. I'm just going to say that. But <laughs> obviously, uh, I, I, I struck a chord with this interesting uh, story that I, I found. But uh, yeah, uh, it's I, I don't see how it could possibly hold up in anything. Maybe it it, it it's something that's going to be cited later and help ch- make some kind of change. But I mean, the only way that I could see it uh, kind of unfolding is if you get all of the ISPs to kind of go against them, you know, but if you're just one kind of, and I don't know anything about this company, so this is a huge assumption on my part and it's probably a very ignorant assumption, but you know, if you get some small internet service provider 
in the middle of Texas or wherever it's at. I don't know where New Boston and Texas is, but it's probably not that big of a company, especially if they're getting worked up and worried about paying this extra, you know, money. Well, it's, well, they, just to be clear, it's not the internet service provider that wants to charge. It's Netflix the town, and, right? It's the town, yeah, the city itself. Well, oh, oh, okay. So then, yeah, it was a little okay. So I got that a little wrong. Either way, that that makes it even that much worse because if you're just a town and you're going to try to go after them at this point, you're going after like a international conglomerate at this point. Like this is something you should have attacked Netflix with probably 15 years ago. Like they, <laughs> I think they're a little too big for you now. Yeah. But, but you're right. I mean, you never know. Like it really just depends on, on what's going to happen. And I think it's, I think if it does go ahead and, and they do actually win that, I think that's bad. I think that's not a good thing for, for entertainment. And I, I honestly don't think it's a good thing for the internet. So reading a little bit more in this article, uh, it says the city of Crev Coeur, Missouri in 2018, (laughs) full disclosure, Richard is originally from Missouri, uh, in 2018 filed a similar suit against several companies, including Netflix and Hulu. There, Netflix argued that it isn't a video service provider and therefore isn't subject to the rules. That fight is pending in state court after a federal judge declined to exercise juris- jurisdiction. Hmm. Also, just another side note, uh, after this podcast, I'm sure that we will not be able to put up any more podcasts because Richard went on a rant against internet service providers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to be blacklisted. Look, the, the internet companies don't care about what I'm saying. <laughs> they're they're making their money. They, they, they don't care. But, and, like, the, the internet's monopolized. I mean, like, there's specific areas where you can only get access from a single provider. And... They've basically, again, they're one of the only companies that has basically been handed, or type of company, I guess, that has basically been handed a free monopoly. Just like, go do whatever you want. You're absolutely right. (laughs) Granted, I guess we'll see if that changes, though, because uh, I did hear recently uh, that the FCC, I believe it was, had approved uh, Amazon and I think think, uh, Tesla as well to start their own uh, satellite-based internet uh, services. So really? that could be, I, I, I think so. I, I might be remembering that incorrectly, but I believe that's, that's what I, I read not too long ago. Uh, so that along with the fact that, I, I mean, I think a lot of the things that started changing with the internet speeds and, and quality and stuff was also in large part due to Google when they started Google Fiber. Uh, I think that caused kind of a, a, a bit of a rift and a bit of a stir. Because I, I really think if, if that didn't come along, we probably still would just now barely be starting to see like gigabit internet anywhere else in the United States. So, uh, you know, hopefully if if, if the Tesla and, and uh, Amazon thing are true, hopefully that will put even more pressure uh, on the competition in the market and maybe break up some of those monopoly or seeming monopolies, at least, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll definitely see. Passionate about my internet. Hey, it's a big part of our lives, especially yours. So it makes sense. That's true. Well, especially now. It's especially now. Have. Yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right. Uh, two quick uh, casting stories before we get into our movie. Oh, okay. Planes, trains, and automobiles. The 1980 something uh, movie. It might be 
early 90s, but I think it's in the 80s. Uh, Steve Martin and John Candy playing two men trying to get home for the Thanksgiving holiday is going to be remade at P- Paramount Pictures starring Will Smith and Kevin Hart. Now, I assume that Kevin Hart is going to be playing the John Candy role and Will Smith would be playing the Steve Martin role. What do you say? Ooh, I I don't know. That's really difficult because they're both hilarious. Right. Like, uh, which I guess, to be fair, uh, so was Steve Martin and John Candy, though. Right. So that's true. Uh, I guess, yeah. Given the background of the of the at least of their bodies of work, Will Smith does seem like the more likely candidate to play Steve Martin's character, just because like we've actually seen him do more uh, quite a few you know very dramatic films. Whereas I don't, I don't really think I know of any dramatic, like truly dramatic Kevin Hart roles. Not that I don't think he could do it. I, I, I think he could. I just don't think that maybe he's interested or he's been given the chance to do those. Yeah, roles. off the top of my head of something that's close to dramatic and still a very funny movie. If you've seen it for, with Kevin Hart is, um, Oh man, what's the movie? It's the him, him and, uh, Brian Cranston where he's Brian Cranston's helper because, uh, Brian Cranston's like a paraplegic in a wheelchair. The upside. Oh yeah. I don't think I was. So uh, did you watch that? Yes. It's a, it's a great movie. It's an amazingly okay. great movie, which uh, I believe I it's a remake of a then. French movie. Oh yeah, I don't think I've, I don't think I've seen that actually. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Give it a try when you when you, if you get a chance. Uh, it says the uh, feature yeah. uh, will the feature be the debut of Aisha Carr to write the script. Her credits include Brooklyn Nine Nine and the Hulu series Woke. Um, it will be produced by both Heartbe- uh, Kevin Hart's Heartbeat Productions and Will Smith's West- Westbrook Studios, and uh, I mean. I'm kind of in for it. Like I remember the due date. Do you remember the movie due date with John or I'm sorry, with uh, Robert Downey Jr. And Zach Galifianakis was kind of like a, a similar idea, but it was, I believe it was uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s characters trying to get across country to the birth of his child. And mm-hmm. Zach Galifianakis is the eccentric one that, you know, keeps getting in the way of, of getting, getting across country. So, that one wasn't as good as the original Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, but I would love. I I'm in to see what this movie could be. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, like I said, I really like Kevin Hart. I really like Will Smith a lot. Um, I don't see any re- reason why I wouldn't watch this movie. I like the original movie as well. It's kind of become like a main staple for most people around Thanksgiving time to yep. kind of sit down and watch this movie. Uh, yeah, I, I'm on board for this. I, I I'm totally down. I think it'd be great. So let me also take you back to the year 1999. Oh boy, okay. A young Richard goes into the movie theater and he, <laughs> he's watching. He he's he's walking into a theater for the trailer. Uh, he saw a trailer of a uh, of a uh, Bill from Bill and Ted's. Or wait, no, is he Ted? I don't remember which one Keanu Reeves plays. I think he's Ted. And uh, he, he's wearing all black and he's going to be doing Kung Fu. Uh, the Matrix. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, know, you know they're going to be making a fourth one, right? I do, yeah. I, I think it was actually supposed to come out originally on the same day as John Wick 4. And then the whole, you know. World blew up. End of the world happened. Yeah. So. <laughs> so with all that, um, was it Trinity? So Carrie Ann Moss, Neo, mm-hmm. um 
Keanu Reeves have both said they're coming back. There is uh, Abdul. I forget his name. Dang it. Uh, anyways, he's going to be coming into the movie. I think a lot of people are speculating that he's going to be young Morpheus, but uh, who's the original Morpheus? Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne. In a recent interview uh, with New York Magazine, said that he was never approached to come back for the Matrix Four. Hmm. Not that he has ill will towards them. He says, you know, you wish them all, hope it's great, but he was never invited to come back. So do you think that leads to them having uh, a young Morpheus in the movie and not needing old Morpheus? Is this a throw off? Like we don't want, we want it to be a surprise when you see uh, Lawrence Fishburne in the movie. So we have him telling people he's not going to be in it or something else completely. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a really, it's a really tough question to answer because it seems oddly strange that you would have young Morpheus, but then old Trinity and Keanu, or, you know, not Neo, not Keanu, but yeah, like that seems uh, particularly strange. Like, I don't know. I mean, then again, it is the Matrix. I mean, who knows where this is going to go? I mean, I still really don't even have any idea of what they're where they're going to try to take the story or what they're going to try to do uh, this time around. It very well could be one of those things where they're trying to throw people off as well. They could be trying to keep it under wraps. Uh, It could also be a situation of where, you know, Morpheus is just dead. Um, And they just, they don't want to focus too much on his older character, but rather would focus on flashbacks to maybe him like, bringing Trinity out and bringing all these people out, like maybe like a memorial type memory thing of, of young, you know, or maybe he's died and then reborn through the cloning of the matrix or something. I don't know. Like it's, it could go anywhere. Well, that's what I'm saying is like, that's the interesting thing is that in the third matrix movie, like Neo and Trinity are the ones that die. If I remember right, Lawrence Fishburne lives, doesn't he? Or does did it, he? Does it more? That's, that's that's the problem with the Matrix. You can <laughs> literally do anything, and you don't know. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. So I just thought that was interesting, and in, in what that could possibly mean for this fourth movie. That if it ever comes out, I think. Yeah, I definitely think it'll come out. But yeah, I, I, I'm. I'm. I guess really curious just to see where they where they're gonna try to even go with this, or you know what approach they might take it's been so long uh, since we've had those and and like you said they kind of wrap things up and uh, well per- perceptively at least wrap things up with the, the last movie so um very strange to make a sequel and not some sort of a reboot yeah. you know yeah so in to my to apologize for earlier it is yaya abdul mateen the second that is uh in the movie that people are speculating is young morpheus so there is that. Okay. Interesting. Let's get into 2019's Vivarium. I remember seeing the trailer for this movie and thinking, this seems so strange. Uh, all the identical <laughs> houses and the not being able to leave the neighborhood. And like, I, I immediately put myself in that situation. Like, what is it that you would do? What is it you could possibly do if you were trapped in a neighborhood? Like it's almost like being trapped in a, a hedge maze, right? Like what what would be the thing that you would try and do? And 
I mean, how do you not just try and drive a car into a wall to see if you can get through and just go one direction, right? But obviously they do that in the movie. Um, also, when I was buying a house, my biggest fear was buying a house. I was just a cookie cutter house. It looked just like everybody else's house. So this also spoke to me on that level. So what did you think about, uh, would, did you watch the trailer first? No, no, no. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't watch anything on it. You again. I, I'm actually kind of finding that I'm loving this. I, I I love trailers and all that, but I'm kind of starting to think that maybe we should just quit putting trailers out. Period, because they've completely changed how they sell movies, and uh, I guess not really for the better. I would I would say <laughs> for me at least. Um, That's yeah. No, I, I I didn't watch it. I went into it blind uh as i've done with the the last couple that you've recommended to me and um yeah i mean just kind of like i guess the broad spectrum thing would be i i i really enjoyed it i think that it's like i said kind of at the start of the podcast it's not going to be a very commercial movie it's not going to be a very uh broad spectrum audience movie that a lot of people are going to watch and and really enjoy or or i think even appreciate I think but, I think the studios call it a four quadrant movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, Definitely but, not gonna be that. You know, there, there, there's something about it that I I really enjoyed, and I guess I should kind of lead off by saying that I don't mind a slow burning movie mm-hmm. at all. Um, I know, kind of like nowadays it it that's not i guess the most people's preferences people like things to be faster and faster and faster and uh more immediate and you know in a in a sense of kind of like what we were talking about i i think earlier with the comic book movies and and you know reality tv and those sorts of things people want uh and i totally understand why i mean like we look at the state of the world we look at everything that's going on around us like and it's not shocking to me that people want entertainment that they they don't maybe have to focus on as much or they don't have to kind of question it or think about it. And inherently, I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. Like, I totally understand that. I love all of those things, too, like British Baking Show and Love It or List It. Like, it's great to throw something on and just not really have to pay too much attention and have very low stakes uh, And so, you know, I think when you have a movie that comes along that's like this. Um, I think that's why a lot of people are, are kind of instantly put off by it is, is because not that I think it's just like some, uh, you know, deep, massively philosophical movie that will change your life. If you can crack its code. I, like, I don't think it's that, but I do think that this movie uh, lends itself very well to the mindset that all art is truly interpretive and subjective and that you can walk away with things and not be wrong with your interpretations. And, you know, it it does kind of make you ask yourself at least, what am I watching? What What is happening? What is this? Is there meaning to it? And things like that. So, I think that's probably why a lot of people don't like this. I think most people would get to the end of this movie and be like, well, this is stupid. Nothing happens. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I think for me, the big thing is, is that number one, it's, it's like you said, um, and this is something that we've said uh, to each other, at least a, a long, like, I, I don't know, probably far back as I can remember you. 
uh, or, or meeting you or whatever, you know, is that you would say stuff like, yeah, well, horror movies are, are, are kind of stupid now to me because I'm an adult and yep. I have real fears like buying a house, paying bills, you know, all of these things. And that's what this movie is. This movie is basically a horror film uh, slash thriller slash sci-fi, kind of like an amalgamation of everything uh, brought together and and it it is kind of horrific like you said like it's it's the horrifying nature of having to go through the process of trying to buy a house uh the uncertainty of you know the getting into the commitment of buying a house the you know problematic situation of your life becoming boring and just being routine based uh the horrifying nature of children and like oh i think there's so many things in this movie and then oh my gosh on top of the fact that we are in the middle of a pandemic we are dealing with catastrophic situations of isolation and removement of 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 ourselves from our communities and from nature and you know, like I think if I would have watched this maybe last year, I I might not have it might not have resonated with me as much. But it, it's kind of eerie how much this is kind of relevant with what we're going through currently. You know? Yeah. No, I, I'm so glad that you you put it the way you did because this movie to me was exactly kind of that it's it's an allegory for uh you know uh marriage children growing old and then dying like it all happens in a, a super accelerated manner and for mm-hmm. very strange reasons uh but to me it was like you have these this couple which and, and this is a very pessimistic look at, at life in in adulthood so to speak i i don't particularly subscribe to it i just want to say that right now but i think that's what this filmmaker and storyteller was trying to say like these this couple that are very happy at the beginning of this movie uh they've made the decision that we're gonna they're gonna buy a house and then right from there it 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 accelerates and it's like okay well you have a house you you're living together now essentially you got married right after you get married you have a baby like the baby came out of nowhere now you have to take care of a thing literally yeah, <laughs> literally shows up in the street in a box oh it's so crazy and then uh and then you know they're in this house they're they're going through routines they're trying to they're just living day to day and then you know the the husband finds himself a task a job that he just sits there and works at every day you know, losing interest in, in his wife and he's, he's slowly killing himself, literally slowly killing himself mm-hmm. as he gets cancer from smoking cigarettes and, and not eating properly and, and just, you know, dig, literally they end up digging their own graves. He's digging the graves for them, like yep. in the in the front line. And the, and the kid just becomes stranger and stranger as it all goes along. And well, I don't exactly know what that's supposed to to mean. Like, do you uh, do adults feel that way about their children when they as they get older? Is that you don't really know who they are? I think that's I think that's absolutely what it is. Uh, you know, I think inevitably we change so much. You know, from that. But uh, the one thing that I wanted to talk about real quick is that. Uh, so I always kind of have this idea that uh, a good movie or a good story should tell you its ending very early on. 
Um, the earlier, the better. And I, I feel like this movie nailed that so unbelievably perfect. So the movie starts off and we're, we're given this, this introduction to this world uh, through our title credits, which are birds. They're just birds being pushed out of the nest, which, again, is a, a very terrifying event for baby birds and humans as they become adults and get kind of thrown out into the real world, world shortly after high school. And they have all of these tasks and stuff that they're supposed to magically know how to do right mm-hmm. um so so right there i was like okay there, there's there's gonna be some heavy avian ties to what we're going to watch this is interesting but then the the scene with uh Gemma, uh who i i can't think of the actress's name but imogen she's poots. Our, our main what's it imogen poots okay um, so she looks over and she sees this young girl who is kind of standing over by the, the base of this tree looking at the ground and she goes over to talk to her. And, and as she does, we find these two birds from the opening credits that have been thrown out of the nest and they've, they've basically, uh, well, not basically they died. And so, you know, the little girl says to her, I think it's, I, I think this is how the conversation goes. So, I, and I, I might be misquoting this a little bit, but, uh, Basically, the little girl goes, who did that to the poor baby birds? And then Gemma's like, I don't know. Maybe it was a cuckoo. And then the little girl goes, why? And Gemma says, well, because it needed a nest. And then the little girl says, well, why doesn't it just make its own nest? And then, of course, Gemma says, because that's nature. That's just the way things are. That's right. And then the little girl says, I don't like the way things are. They're terrible. And it's like... That's 1,000% what everyone says about becoming an adult, and it also (laughs) reveals to us so much about this movie because we already know that we're going into a batshit bananas film, uh, (laughs) and what the filmmaker in that simple line of dialogue is telling us is that it doesn't really matter what happens. They're they're playing into the morbid curiosity of humanity, and they know that we're going to want to know what is going on? We're going to want answers. We're going to want the rules to this world. But guess what? This is the nature of this movie. You and that's just the way things are going to be. <laughs> yep. And then right after this happens, we get introduced to Jesse Eisenberg's character, Tom, who comes down. And what does he do? <laughs> he digs a grave and puts the two baby birds in it. Brilliant. Yep. <laughs> that is such good foreshadowing of the end of the movie. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I I'm so glad that you were just excited about this movie. Like, I I'm not gonna sit here and say that I thought it was a great movie that I enjoyed it all, all the whole way through. I definitely was excited to watch it, and I definitely had an a reaction to watching it, but I did not hate it. I will not. I won't say that I hate this movie. So I was. I'm glad that you had a reaction to it, or at least this reaction to it. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not saying that it's it's great, uh, but I definitely enjoyed it. But again, I fully understand that this is <laughs> not the majority's cup of tea that we're talking about. I totally get it. So what did you think of, like, uh, I would have to say, like, the, the set design or uh, production design of this movie? Because you, you have the cookie cutter homes you have the Mm -hmm. strange digital sky so to speak like did that make you think 
of anything to because it really did, I mean obviously I don't what what is this kid what are, what are the people that put put them in here are they aliens are they demons are they cuckoo birds that are just made into human flesh like who knows but like the the sky very much so made me feel like this had to have been some kind of uh, simulation that they were stuck in right well it, so it's it's extremely interesting because you know what a vivarium is right I'm I'm assuming you know what that means when i understand right? it was uh it's a it's a, a place of life or something like that a, a, a box of life well so a, a vivarium specifically is so you have like aquariums terrariums like that sort of stuff but a vivarium specifically deals with animals and oftentimes it deals with the study of animals uh so to me, again, you know, the title is insinuating that whatever these creatures are, whether they are alien or demonic, I mean, we don't really ever get, I mean, hell, they could have honestly been the first people that ever came into existence because they have very lizard-like or even avian-like qualities, which we also know is true of dinosaurs. Uh, so, I mean, maybe they predated humans. Uh, and, and there is this weird almost like symbiotic existence between them because they need people to, for whatever reason, raise their accelerated babies. You know, I don't, I don't, we don't even know where the babies come from um, or, or why they themselves can't raise them. Um, But everything in that environment uh, is artificial like it, I don't even believe the sun is real. Uh, the clouds are obviously not real. The grass wasn't the dirt, uh, which arguably, like you said, you, you talked about him getting, you know, maybe cancer or whatever from the cigarettes. But I personally, I think it's probably more detrimental to his health to be breathing in whatever the shit that dirt is. Because, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, he was digging in that for probably months or years uh, and then he was sleeping in it uh, on top of that, which is, I mean, he had to have been ingesting that. And it's not like dirt that we would find in our backyards. Like it looks almost like dirt and Play-Doh or some, some sort of weird foamy packaging type thing in it, you know? Um, yeah. It, it's the, it looks like the, the type of spray foam that you would use on the inside of a, for insulation kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, which again is a very, I think a very good, uh, artistic choice, you know, to really showcase the, the artificial nature, uh, of everything that's going around. And, and a lot of the, I'm, I'm sure they probably did have some small, tangible set pieces, but a lot of the larger, wide shots of they have a lot of like bird's eye shots, uh, kind of down onto the you know suburban roadways and stuff. Uh, those I think are all CGI. I don't, I don't think, I don't even think the car in that part was was real. I think that was all CG, um, which would make sense, and it would obviously make it significantly cheaper to do that than to manufacture thousands of cardboard exterior houses or whatever, you know? So then you also see Tom, uh, you know, when he gets to the bottom of the hole, so to speak, uh, Mm -hmm. he finds dead bodies. He finds another set of dead bodies. Uh, I mean, assuming that's where someone, they, they buried the last people that lived there. But then there's the scene where, Gemma goes underneath the sidewalk after she follows their kid 
The boy, yeah. yeah, the boy, boy, bird man. She, she keeps falling through different realities, different planes of existence. I don't know how how they, they did it, but like each one of them has a different color and a different scheme and stuff like that. And they obviously aren't the ones for her. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that's why the color was off, or you know, she wasn't able to hold on or stay in those positions. Even when she's she sees the dude like has one guy has like killed himself and left himself in the tub. Like I guess he didn't want to take care of that the the kid that they straddled him with. Like, what did you get from that? Well, first thing is I love uh, the the color usage uh, throughout the entire movie. I, I, again, a lot of really smart choices there. Where the place the complex is called Yonder. Um, and it's this very like lightish seafoamish type of like oh, green, yes. yeah. Uh, which the interesting thing from from color science and color theory is is that green in very short commodities and in a higher saturation is usually a calming color. But when you have kind of like this lighter green color and you're exposed to it for a longer period of time, it actually induces anxiety in people. Um, And we often associate it with sickness, which is another reason that going back to the Matrix, it's kind of like funny. But, you know, that you kind of have this like sickly look to everyone when they have like the green kind of overlaid on their skin tones. Like it's a very like almost like toxicity to it in a a sense. Right. Or like a viral look to it. I mean, so what's that? I was just saying when, you know, a, 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 a turn of phrase for when people are sick is you look green in the gills like it's. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. Yeah. And so, you know, we're kind of like exposed to that green for a bulk majority of the movie. And and there are other colors, like some of the appliances and things were like a yellow color, but it, it's predominantly that gross, you know, sickly green color. And then all of a sudden when she goes under the sidewalk, uh, we're basically punched in the eyeballs with red mm-hmm. uh, right away, which uh, red, I mean, again, colors have different meanings and things, but like red usually can be like either passion or, or aggression or anger. Uh, but as soon as the, the, she fell into that shower, just with the shade and the hue of blue that it was, I was like, oh, this is depression. There's someone in here that's killed themselves. And then immediately she walks over and opens the tub and there's the guy who's killed himself. And I was like, oh, there, there it is, you know. That's really awesome. And then, yeah, it felt to me almost like this whole thing was like a living organism and her going into kind of like the belly of the beast. uh, It reminds me of a lot of like when you know, like sometimes you get like a splinter and then like you can't quite get all of it out. But like your body doesn't really grow skin over it. Like your skin has this natural way of like forcing this foreign object out of your body. Yep. Like, that's kind of what it felt like was happening to Gemma because, like, I'm sure she would have loved to have looked around more or tried to understand these things. But, like, it almost felt like this place, like, immediately recognized her as, like, a foreign entity and then shoved her out of that part of it and back into her her little box. Yeah, back to the place where she, quote, unquote, belonged. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, what I mean, do you do you take anything else like from the idea of it being 
oppression or depression and aggression and and from like are those stages for somebody when they were going through something uh, at that point she had already I believe lost Tom, right? So, yeah, she she had lost Tom. The, the thing that I think is is maybe, and, and again, I, I think this is why this movie is is a, a lot of people would view this and be like, this is weak storytelling because you didn't give me the answers, and that's not a wrong assessment for them. That it's it's interpretive, and there's you can't be wrong with that. But for me, I think that's why this movie was so enjoyable is because there is so much to speculate and to extrapolate on your own, and I, I feel like. Maybe the situation would be that, especially since it is this observatory thing where they, they've obviously studied people. Um, and going back to the realtor, Martin, he took them to house nine. And right. it's it's very commonly like referenced throughout the, the script, uh, you know, over and over that this is house nine. You know, and then like the art and stuff in there is like a painting over the fireplace is a picture of house nine. And there's all of these other houses around them, but none of them are numbered. None and they of couldn't them. go in any of them. Nope. Um, so and, and again, going back to the movie, we see that, you know, Gemma is a, a teacher. The movie starts off with her uh, teaching very young kids, maybe like kindergarten or first grade or something. She's teaching very, very young kids. Um, and then we see Tom, who is kind of just like a, a gardener and, and, you know, very much kind of, I guess what you would perceive as very stereotypical, like gender role type things. And if we're going by the assumption that these aliens uh, or demons or whatever they were had been studying people, it almost feels like they were assigned those places. Um, and so it's almost like in a way you could, you could take from the story that Tom finds that dead body which is not him but rather another person who has come here and done the exact same thing right. which wouldn't be that far-fetched because they also there's a part where tom tries to kill the kid and Jimmy intervenes and again if you were some higher cognizant species or whatever you are I would assume you would probably have some degree of knowledge of, of really understanding people, especially if you're in this symbiotic relationship where you need these people to be in there in order for your species to continue to survive. I think you would get very adept at calculating who would do what. And so even going back to that sequence of her going through all of these different areas, it almost felt like that was kind of showing us like they have a categorization of where they're putting people. Um, and again, that could be completely wrong. <laughs> there could be a million possible scenarios for that, but that's kind of the vibe that I was getting from with that. Okay. I mean, what about you? Cause again, I, I think there's a, a massive amount of possibilities. I mean, what do you take from that? What do you think that was? I mean, that's exactly I mean, I don't, I don't think that they were, uh, destined for that like maybe maybe when they walked into the 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 sales office like they had an immediate assessment of like which building which house should they put them in they should put them in house nine if they were to like if you were to have been able to look at in that the blue house the when she goes through the sidewalk you would and she was able to go out that front door you would see that was house eight and then like like it they weren't able to access the other houses, but they exist on different planes, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and and yeah, maybe that's that, that's exactly what it is. I think that one of the interesting things is that when because what's the, the they end up calling him Martin, right? Like he just takes on the mm-hmm. other guy's name when that particular boy is old enough to to move to move out. He goes and takes over the other guy's job, which he's right then dying. Like, what's mm-hmm. the life expand? The expectancy of the that creature is not too long because we saw that you know he shot up to being ten years old in just under ninety days. I think if you if you remember the the door frame correctly, I think it was ninety eight days. But yeah, yeah, so, it, it rounds about. Yeah, it, it is accelerated for sure. So, what kind of exactly? existence is it? it almost makes me think there's a third species in here somewhere that is absorbing uh, observing both uh items uh, the, the the salesperson and the the humans um the other thing that i, I was really interested in i would love to get your thoughts on it why do you think they decided not to just give the the young actor that plays the one of the, the one version of the boy um, his own voice. Why? Why have a different voice? Assuming the older version of him's voice. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's just genuinely creepy. Um, <laughs> so and, just to and be I creepy. I think it also lends itself to this uh, outwardly, outworldly type experience that it, it's definitively clear that this is not a human being. <laughs> Like there, it's it, there's no way to even mistake it for a human being. Yet alone, like oh my god, the part where uh, he you know disappears and then you know she starts talking to him like oh did you go out on an adventure and he's like yeah and then you know she's like oh did you meet someone and then she kind of has him like imitate who he met and like he kind of like balloons his neck out <laughs> and yeah. it lights up and he's just like yelling and. You're just like, holy crap, that's uh, creepy AF. Uh, but but I think that's really maybe the artistic choice behind it was, you know, that it's very clear from the beginning that this isn't human. We don't even want you to ever identify this as a human. We don't really want you to connect with this this boy or or have really empathy for this character. Uh, because my God, like the parts where it's hungry and it's literally just sitting there like a baby bird with its mouth open, just yelling until they <laughs> shove food down his gullet. Uh, I thought my neighbors were going to call the cops because, like, I had the TV up uh, pretty loud, and like, I mean, it's just literally ah, like it's so effing annoying. Uh, that was probably the part of the movie I liked the least because they do it over and over and over. over and you're yeah. like, okay, we get we get that part. Let's move on. Like, but yeah. I, I I don't know. I, I, that's kind of what that feels like to me. Um, but I don't know. I mean, do you have any other speculations on, on no. that? I mean, it is a crazy choice. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't really have any more speculations on it. I just, I just, I am glad, like I said, I'm glad that you, uh, enjoyed the movie and had, and had reaction to it. So, uh, any, any last thoughts that you'd like to get out there? Um, yeah, I, I mean, again, I don't think it's for everyone. I, I, I thought it was good and I enjoyed it. I don't think it's necessarily great. I think if you're maybe someone who really likes this type of movie, you should also maybe check out, um, you know, like Beyond the Black Rainbow or Mysterious Skin, um, you know, something to, or there's also this wonderful little movie. It's like kind of like a kind of insane comedy called wrong. Um, so I, I think if you're into this type of, of thing, like you should check those out and you, you might enjoy those as well. Okay. 
There you go. Uh, if you want to talk to me about this movie, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Mitchipedia G-E-M. G-E-M stands for Geek Elite Media. Uh, Richard, can, where can people find you online? Uh, they can find me on uh, Twitter as well, at Rycohen, R-I-C-O-W-N. Or they can find me on Twitch, which is twitch.tv slash Rycohen and the number one. Uh, the rest of Geek Elite Media is at Geek Elite Media on Twitter, at Geek Elite Media on Instagram, and Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Media is our Facebook page. Check out our website for archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on our network, geekelitemedia.com. I don't know if I said that yet or not, but you could have guessed it at this point. Uh, check out our Patreon page. Uh, we have a few tiers and a few patrons at this moment, so uh, go and be a part of that community. Get some bonus material. Finally, if uh, whatever podcatcher you use, please rate and review us so that you can help spread the word of our network to others that might also enjoy it. But... Until next time, this is the Mitch and Rich Show on the Geekly Media Network saying always remember to geek out. Geek out. This concludes our broadcast. Beep.